now let's pray that the words that I speak, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our King and our Redeemer. Amen. So families and family trees, there's quite an interest in tracing family trees and going back through the generations. Anybody here into that kind of thing? There's a couple of friends of mine who have managed to get back in their ancestry to the Tudor court. Uh, and at the 9.30 service, I said this and I said, you know, anybody else kind of of that uh, lineage get back that far afterwards there was obviously a couple of very modest people who didn't say that at the time but afterwards said to me oh yeah I can go back to the 13th century or something you know so no doubt there are other people here who the Tudor court's just nothing to you um, but to me uh, when one of our family the Randall family got into this we got as far as the 19th century and uh, then something pretty murky emerged, and uh, that was really more or less the end of that little uh, investigation. And uh, in any case, the Tudor court, you know, do you really want to go back to all of that? Um, But uh, what about families? Uh, Not just these families that can go back a long time, but all our families. We're going to be reflecting on that a little bit uh, this morning, using David's story to think about that. Uh, I'm really sorry that we're getting to the end of this David series. Those of you who've been around, we've seen David's call, we've seen his friendships, we've seen what it meant to have power and God's power. Uh, We had Beth's sermon on uh, David and Bathsheba. So there's been a lot of stuff, hasn't there? And now this is the last one. We've come uh, to that point in this series on David. And... uh, I don't think that anybody would want to say that David had a perfect family. Does anybody feel that it was all absolutely perfect, you know, that he was there with his one wife and his two children and it was just really everything was together? Not quite, was it? Would you agree that not everything was quite together? You might even use that word that was used earlier, dysfunctional, for some aspects of David's family. And so sometimes we get the idea that we have to live up to something that is really unattainable. The Bible doesn't tell us that we have to live up to the unattainable ideal. David was not the head of a family where everybody just did the things uh, that David thought were right. David did have a heart that was after God. He did want good things. But even though he had all that power, he didn't have the power to make it happen in his family. So you remember, we looked at the matriarch, and she doesn't, for all her power, uh, in Downton Abbey, manage to make everything happen like she would uh, like it to happen. So things go a bit jagged at the edges. And nothing, to my mind, in the later story of David is more jagged than him and his son Absalom. The the son who was really gearing himself up to be the king. Now, one of the things about Absalom that made him think he was well suited to be David's successor 
was that on his mother's side, he also came from a royal line. So you had David, his father, and his mother's royal line. And Absalom really thought, I'm the one. And uh, this has kind of come through different ways in which people have written about this. William Faulkner, the American writer, uh, with his book, Absalom, Absalom, which really talks about a family where the son rebelled against the father. Lots of conflict. And that's the story of Absalom. It's, it's a sad story. It's a story of Absalom who was so uh, intent on his own power and making things happen, whether these were uh, sometimes vengeance, killing one of his own brothers, uh, because his own brother had done a horrible thing, had raped a sister. All of this is there in that story. Uh, and so Absalom and David, his father, are separated. Absalom has to go uh, away and stays away for about three years. Then he comes back and gradually there's a kind of reconciliation uh, that takes place with David. But it's not good. And it leads to civil war. Civil war in Israel. One group led by Absalom who's getting people on his side. David, the king, actually fleeing. It takes you right back to the beginning of the story when David was fleeing from Saul. As if David was no longer the king. He's on the run. He's trying to get people together. But the whole thing is pretty nasty. And it ends for Absalom in a very nasty way. This picture perhaps isn't so nasty, but it actually is the story of 19th century painter. Uh, painted the story. Absalom had long hair, beautiful hair. And in this battle, in the Civil War, his hair got caught in a tree. And he was stuck. And then along comes somebody who says, Aha! This is the moment. We'll get rid of of Absalom, and the spear uh, does that. So, a very, very sad kind of end to somebody who uh, David obviously loved greatly. And then we have another son, Adonijah, came up in the the reading. Uh, And after Absalom's out of the way, enter Adonijah, who says, this is my turn now, I'm the one who can be king. And Adonijah actually gets to the point where he's having a big ceremony and he's going to be proclaimed king. But just at this moment, Nathan the prophet comes back on the scene. Remember Nathan the prophet, who was the one who confronted David with his sin? So a lot of these strands are still coming through the story. Nathan the prophet was the one who said, look what you've done uh, in your uh, relationship with Bathsheba. You've sinned. And Nathan comes back into the picture now. And Nathan realizes that actually God's purposes are going to be fulfilled through Solomon. Uh, This is something that God had spoken about. He had spoken about his love for Solomon, Bathsheba's son. And so this is where uh, we get Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and all these other guys who were there in the story coming together to anoint Solomon as the king. And any of you into the handle... Long live the king, Zadok the priest. Long live the king. And, oh, over here. Do you want to give us a quick burst? No. <laughs> okay. Maybe afterwards. Um, and Adonijah, of course, having thought that it was all going his way, suddenly now 
uh, is clinging to the horns of the altar, which is really a picture of him asking for mercy or wanting uh, some kind of asylum uh, because he thinks that Solomon's going to uh, finish him off. Solomon doesn't. Solomon starts uh, with wanting to be gracious. But just think about this. David's built up uh, this kingdom, hasn't he? We've looked at that. And here's the 20-year-old Solomon who is going to take over. David had to struggle to make all this uh, come true. Solomon is just handed on a plate, isn't it? Uh, He's been brought up in the palace. He's got everything. Uh, And it's a real challenge to know which way Solomon's going to go. And something he does is really, really good, and it's good for us this morning. Because God says to him, what do you really want, Solomon? This is you at a turning point in your life. What is it you really want? Is it to be more and more powerful? Is it to have lots of money, lots of women? And in some ways he had all that. But what he asked for was wisdom. He asked if he could have wisdom to be a good king. And God was really pleased with that. And maybe for us this morning, thinking about this story, we could ask ourselves, what is it that is the number one? What's the priority for us? Is it to live well, to have God's wisdom, to have the right things happening in our lives, and not lots of other things that for other people are the things that are a priority? So Solomon had these good things. He also had lots of things that in the end, were not good in his life. So it's a very mixed picture. There is still not the perfect family emerging in this story. Uh, And he became perhaps as famous for all his possessions and all his wealth, but he did build the temple that David would have liked to build. So he did build that house of God. So there's different things happening uh, in the life of this son of David. Uh, This is... Uh, long live the king, just to remind you that uh, there were these characters uh, who were uh, uh, alongside him. But what I'm really thinking about uh, is what would people want to come to us for? There were people who came to Solomon for his wisdom, but there were people who came because of his wealth and his power, people like uh, the Queen of Sheba, uh, who uh, found her way to Solomon. But what do people want to come to us for? Do they want to hear something that is going to help them? And have we got something like that uh, to share with them? That was really the challenge in Solomon's life. Now, having said that you know, the family doesn't get it all together, it is a very important family. Because out of this line in the Gospel of Matthew, we come to Jesus. So out of this line of David and Solomon, uh, the, uh, the mention in Matthew actually of uh, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife reminds us of how difficult these relationships were. But out of that comes eventually down to Joseph in the story, uh, Jesus himself adopted by Joseph into the family. But just think about that. Jesus is part of this line, but he's not 
in the biological line. The biological line goes as far as Joseph, but it doesn't go to Jesus. So Jesus is adopted into this family. That's a fantastic thought to me, because there's something else said about adoption in families uh, in the New Testament, and that is that God adopts all of us who believe in Jesus into his family. So there's another family, not just the biological, not just the blood family. There is this family, spoken about that already this morning, that we are brought into by the action of God, by the initiative of God. He just calls us, each of us, by name. And he says, uh, Sean, Derma, and Agnes, and all the other people in this family, I want you to be together as a family. And so it's good for us to be involved with our physical families, but let's not think, you know, I wish I was that family because I've got this family, uh, or I wish I could trace back, or I wish I had children. You know, all these things are fine and gifts, but actually that's not the final word that God wants to say about family. The final word that God wants to say about family goes right beyond the biology and the blood and ethnic and everything else and embraces people. And I just find that so wonderful uh, to think about this morning, that we're part of that family. And that family uh, has been growing in Camborne. Were any of you there at this point in the story of uh, the family? Yes, we have certainly Jeff with uh, Jackie. And how many children at that point, Jeff? Okay, so there's a bit of growth going on uh, in the family. Anybody else uh, who uh, you probably Fiona's in Scotland, but she's still part of our family. But uh, some one or two others have probably moved on because that's what happens with families. People uh, go to different places and move. On. But the, the family, the, the Camborne Church family, was quite small then. And uh, here's other people who have become part of that family. And Jesus himself, when they were really wanting him to take more notice of his own family, they said, look, your, your mother's here and your sisters are here. Uh, they wanted to talk to you. And something very, very powerful was said by Jesus at that point. He said, those who do the will of God, those who follow God's way, they're my family. So this morning, as Lee said, we're in Christ's family. And this family is international. It's all over the world. It's not just our congregation. We're connected uh, to one another. We're another movement in the world, the movement of the family of Christ, a movement growing, moving on, developing, taking responsibility for one another, giving one another freedom uh, to be ourselves within this family. And so we're going to take bread and wine because we're part of a family that's eating and drinking together. And I want to encourage us from this end of the story of David and Solomon. Let's see that God's work goes on. It doesn't stop 
It's not limited by whether we get it all together or get it all right in our families. God's still at work. And he's at work in each of us. Each of us has a part to play. We don't actually come here just to be spectators. We come to play our part in this family. And we come, as Jesus did, with just two people uh, on the road to Emmaus uh, in the house together to break bread together. We're going to do that uh, as the family of God. And may this blessing of God be upon each one of us now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.